Well, God, I thank you for this hour that we can study your Bible, and I thank you that our church can, um, can be an avenue where we can build um, camaraderie, friendships, unity um, that's first built upon your word that then can uh, expand even from there and, and getting to know each other's lives even deeper. And so I thank you for this hour. I pray that it's beneficial as you led the nation of Israel by cloud and fire. I pray that you would lead us by your word tonight. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Exodus, Exodus chapter 15, that probably didn't come as a surprise to you because last week was Exodus chapter 13 and 14. We have waded through the 10 plagues, and all of that was intended to convince Pharaoh to let God's people go. And we hit the 10th plague, death in the entire Egypt. Only those people who put the blood of the spotless lamb on their doorposts would be saved. And that was the one that did it. Pharaoh's uh, firstborn was dead along with all those others in Egypt. And, got, and Pharaoh did say, get out of here to Moses and Aaron. And the entire nation loaded up. And so we ended last week with the entire nation crossing the border out of Egypt. And God led them, if you remember, God led them south instead of where you'd imagine them being. Remember our map of Egypt, that's the green there in the, the fertile area, which is the Nile River Delta flowing into the Mediterranean Sea, and the land of Goshen, where Israel is, is here, and you can see the most direct route to the promised land to Canaan is 100 miles east, and yet God did not take them 100 miles east. God took them a long way south, and tonight, they're even going to go further south than that. God's taken the, them the long way, taking them the, um, the scenic route, as my dad would say. And do you remember why God did this? Yeah, because they, they were, God knew that if they met the Philistines or any of the other Enes or Ites in the promised land, they'd just turn tail and run right back to Egypt, that they were not ready for any sort of battle yet. And so he takes them into the wilderness, into the desert, not into the land of promise. And in all the chaos of the exit, you remember that Moses took something with him. You remember what Moses took with him? Ah, the bones of Joseph. It reminded me, when I was telling that story last night of the bones of Joseph, reminded me when I was about five years old, my dad was a principal of a high school in San Bernardino. And uh, I don't know if you remember the Panorama Fire, those of you as old as I am remember the Panorama Fire back in the 80s, and that burned the San Bernardino Mountains, and it burned right down to California State University in San Bernardino, Cal State San Bernardino, and, and uh, right down into the neighborhoods there in San Bernardino. And that's where I grew up. My parents' house is still there, same place. And I remember being in elementary school, standing out in the middle of the street with my family and then all of the other neighbors just watching the fire get closer and closer and closer and closer to our house. Some of our neighbors were up on the roofs, you know, with the hoses on the roof and everything. My dad's like, eh, well, if it's going to go, that's not going to help it one bit. Uh, so we went to bed that night. Then the next morning we woke up and my dad went off to, to work to school and all the students were there at school. And during the day one of the students' homes just burned down totally, like nothing left. And the only thing that he owned was the clothes that were on his back and his P.E. clothes. <laughs> that was it. Sometimes you don't get a chance to take anything, 
But sometimes you get a chance. And Moses had the chance, and he got the bones of Joseph because he was going to take the bones of Joseph and bury them in the land of Canaan, where all the other patriarchs were, Abraham and Isaac and, and, and Abraham's wife Sarah, and all the patriarchs were buried there, and, and Joseph made them make a promise, take my bones when you go. And so they're going, Moses grabs the bones. That's the plan. So they've just crossed the border, and now here we are in chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. The enemy has been defeated, and they break out in a victory song. The, the title to my chapter 15 is The Song of Moses. And that might be what the title of this chapter says in your Bibles too, The Song of Moses. That's what this is known as. This is known as the Song of Moses, verse 1. Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord. I'm gonna, we're going to read it. I'm not going to sing it. Sorry. I will sing to the Lord, for He is highly exalted. The horse and its rider He has hurled into the sea. Of course, you know what that's referring to. The Lord is my strength and song, and He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him, my Father's God, and I will extol Him. The Lord is a warrior. The, the Lord is His name. So we could spend all night just talking about these three verses right here. Don't worry, we're not going to do that. But I want to show you why... This is such an impactful um, song. Why, why this song really matter? Why are they singing so passionately? I mean, I'm with them. God is great. And remember, these are the same people, if you just go back uh, one chapter, verse 11, chapter 14, verse 11, this is like hours before they're singing, our God is great. We're going to extol him. He's defeated everybody. Just a couple hours before, chapter 14, verse 11, and they, Israel, said to Moses, it's because you're, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. The same people. And now they're extolling the praises of God. Now, I want to show you why some of these things are existing. Moving your Bibles all the way to the, like keep your finger here or something here. Move all the way to the back of your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The New, New Testament gives us insight into the reasons for all of the drama that we're seeing here, of the complaining and then the praising and the complaining and the praising. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It directly references what we've been reading. It says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea. Who's this referring to? Of course, this is Israel being led by the cloud, crossing the sea on dry land. And we're all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they laid low in the wilderness." 
Now, these things happened. Notice why these things happened. Now, these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave the evil things they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and to drink, and they stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally, for as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, that they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Isn't that interesting? That there is a correlation between everything that happens in the Exodus, there's a correlation to believers who are in the New Testament. And it, in verse 4, it talks about that the rock, we'll get to the rock and all of that, but the rock is Christ. That all of these things that we're looking at are about Jesus Christ. They are examples for us in how we live. And notice in verse 2, it says they were all baptized into Moses. Now, what does that mean? How were all of these Israelites baptized into Moses? Because it's not talking about water. They were dry. Their shoes were dry. The Egyptians were all wet, but the Israelites were dry. So this is not like water baptism. What does this mean? Baptism is like an identifier. that It, it identifies us with a particular thing. Sometimes we use that, that phrase, baptized by fire. You're probably familiar with that idiom. And, and that just means that this person has been, has identified quickly with a particular situation or a particular thing or a particular job or a particular responsibility. They were baptized by fire. They were quickly initiated into this thing. They were identified with it very quickly. And that's what baptism is. It's an identifier. And so we have these Israelites who were a bunch of complainers, okay? On one side of the sea, they're all complaining. They're, they're complaining about how they got released. They're complaining that they are released. They're complaining about the enemies coming. As soon as they get to the other side of the sea, now all of a sudden they're praising God. And it's, they're praising God because of being delivered. And who delivered them? They were delivered by Moses. They, they identified with Moses. Now look at how Hebrews in chapter 11, you don't have to turn there. I have it here on the screen. Look at how the, the author ties all of this Moses to the Israelites. Notice what it says. It says, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through on dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, they were drowned. So how, what, how were the Israelites delivered? What are the first two words? How are they delivered? By faith. By faith? Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us low to Egypt? This is, is this not the word that we spoke to you in the Egypt, saying, Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Does that sound like faith to you? That's, that's not faith. The, the Israelites had no faith at all. Who was the one who had faith? Ah. Moses is the one who had faith. The Israelites did nothing. They, they weren't responsible for any of what happened. 
Moses is the one who had faith. Remember, Moses in chapter 14 said, do not fear, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you seem today, will, you will never see again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. The Moses is the one who had faith. It was because of Moses that they crossed the Red Sea. It was not because of anything that they had done. They had been saved. They had been delivered because they identified with Moses. And Moses identified with them. If there was not, an identi- if there was not a baptism into Moses, if they had not identified with Moses, <laughs> they wouldn't have been saved because they had no faith. But because they were identified with Moses, now they were led through, they were, they were led through, and now they can be redeemed. They are saved because of being identified with Moses. Now, I don't know if you can see the parallels that that would be for a Christian, but maybe I could spell it out for you a little bit more. For us, this is the same way for us too, that It is Jesus Christ that has led us out of the proverbial slavery of sin. It is Jesus Christ that has taken us through the the waters. It is Jesus Christ that has kept our feet clean as we've gone through the waters. And so it is then because of that, and when a person identifies with Jesus Christ, they are baptized into this body of Christ, that is then when someone is saved. That's what the writer of uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, for by one spirit we are all baptized into one body. This is not referring to water baptism. This is when a person puts their faith and trust in Christ, God's Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us, and He is like the seal or the promise that our soul is going to go to the promised land, that, 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 that it's going to happen. It says, it doesn't matter if we're Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we're all made to drink of one spirit. This is the, all of these things are written down so that, so that we could learn from them. And one of the things that we can learn from them is the wonderful picture that all of these events of Israel and their relationship to God, we can identify with as believers too, because we have been baptized into Christ. We have been identified with Christ, just as Israel, it, no work on their own. They couldn't do anything to get across the water. Same with us. There's no work that we can do for our salvation. It's identity with Jesus Christ, identifying with Jesus Christ that gets us through the waters of the Red Sea. So that's what it means by being baptized into Moses. They identified with him, and it was him that got them through. It was his face that got them through, not their own work. Now, moving your Bibles all the way back to Exodus again. So like I said, this chapter is called the Song of Moses, so we're just going to read some here, and we'll notice a few things as we read it. Uh, verse 4 of chapter 15, it says, Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea, and the choicest of his officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deeps cover them, the, they went down to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, is the one who shatters the enemy. They've been under slavery over all, under these people for so long. It has been their iron fist that they have been sitting under for so long. And now they realize that God has an even ironer fist than, than those slave owners ever did. 
and this stronger fist has crushed the strong fist that they've been under for the entire time. Verse 7, and the greatness of your excellence, you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send forth your burning anger, and it consumes them as chaff. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters were piled up, and the flowing water stood up like a heap. The deeps were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be gratified against them. I will draw out my sword, my hand will destroy them. But you blew them with your hand, with, with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? All the gods. Remember, all of the plagues were all pointed at the gods, the little Egyptian gods that they worshipped, all the natural gods. And many in Israel had lived there for so long, their entire lives, that they had just gotten used to all of the gods too. And now here they are in this praise song, which even though it's called the Song of Moses, it's not really praising Moses. Who's it praising? Yeah, it's praising God. It's praising the Lord, the one who actually uh, is the one, the, the one with the power. And it says, who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Well, the answer is, yeah, none. N- none of those are gods like you are God. Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in the praises and working wonders? You stretch out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. In your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. In your strength, you have guided them to your holy habitation. He uses two really interesting words in that verse. Okay? Look, verse 13 says, In your loving kindness, you have led your people whom you have redeemed. And they are completely redeemed, they are completely saved. God didn't ask them to do a thing. They didn't have to get more righteous. They didn't have to love him more. He is the one who did all of the work. And now they're redeemed. And notice, look here. In your, in your strength, you've guided them to your holy habitation. The holy habitation, they're in the wilderness. I mean, they're so ecstatic for what has happened. They can, they, they're almost singing as if they are in the promised land, like they can taste it already, even though, as you've seen on the map, they're headed in the opposite direction right now, but they are, have such a positive outlook on how great things are going that uh, they all, almost feel like they're in the promised land already. The, the peoples have heard, they, the, the peoples have heard, they tremble. Anguish has gripped the inhabitants of Philistia. That's where the Philistines live, obviously. Then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed, and the leaders of Moab trembling, trembling grips them. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Their song is all about what hasn't even happened yet. Their song is, they don't quite know this yet, is about things that are going to happen, oh, at least 40 years away from now, about how the enemies of God are melting away. But they, they are so excited about being out of Egypt, they're singing as if they are in and conquering the land of Canaan right now. Terror and dread fall upon them, meaning all the people, all of the, the, their enemies in Canaan. By greatness of your arm, they are motionless as stone until your people pass over, O Lord, until the people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them the, and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, talking about the land of Canaan, promised land, the, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. 
The Lord shall reign forever and ever. For, your, for the horses of Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen went out into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters from the sea on them. And this is all a song. This is a long song. I don't find a lot of rhyming in this. I, I don't know how Pastor John would lead, the, lead us singing this. But the sons of Israel worked on dry land, walked on dry land through the midst of the sea. And then he brings up a name that sounds familiar, Miriam, the prophetess. Who's that? Well, of course, it mentions Aaron's sister, but it's not just Aaron's sister. Whose other sister is that? That's Moses' sister. It goes all the way back to when Moses was a little infant baby, and, and they, remember who, they remember Miriam, and she is still active and a part of um, this group of people who have now been let out. We haven't heard much from her since the time when she, uh, Moses was a baby. She took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out with her, and the timbrels uh, and with dancing, and Miriam answered them, a, a reply song, sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider he has hurled into the sea. And so that's the song of Moses, really the song of the Lord that Moses started and everybody else uh, jumped in and began to sing praises to God about his powerful for redeeming them. They almost feel like they are in the, the promised land already. Verse 22, yeah, I mean, you'd think that things are going so well, that they're so positive. Verse 22, then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur, and they went there three days in the wilderness, and they found no water. Now remember, Egypt was the land of plenty. Egypt is the land with the, with the big green delta. Egypt is the land with the, with the water flowing through it. And so now they've gotten to, their surroundings are a little different. And now they've been here three days, and there's no water. And, and, they're, and they're thirsty. And you wonder, why in the world, after, after, after we've been redeemed, why in the world would God do this to us? And sometimes that happens that this is like the Christian experience. Maybe some of you experienced this. You put your faith and trust in Christ, you're redeemed, you're excited, and you are so sure that as soon as you've been redeemed by Christ, all of a sudden things are going to get, things are going to be great. Uh, all, of a, all of a sudden, all of the family drama just disappears. And the, 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 uh, a fire and a passion returns to a dead marriage. And as soon as you're redeemed, uh, the teenagers, they're going to respect their parents again. And as soon as you're redeemed, the, the bank account is never going to be empty ever again. I mean, they've been singing the praises of the Lord. They've been exalting Him. And you think that the road to Canaan would just you know, be paved with rose petals and, and Uber rides with air conditioning and things would just be so good. And that this is where we end up. And God takes them to this place. They're thirsty. And they're, they came from a land of plenty to now a land of nothing. But they have the God who got them across the sea. And they have the God that did those 10 great miraculous things in the land of Egypt. They have the God that, can, that has the power. They just said it. They have that God. Notice what that God does. Verse 23. When they came to Marah, remember they're thirsty. When they came to water, they could, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, 
well, what in the world are we supposed to drink? So, so this water in Mara is bitter. They can't drink it. I think they went to Yellowstone. Have you been to Yellowstone? Okay, you go to Yellowstone, and, and, and they have these pools that are created by this water that comes up from the volcanic crevices, and, and the water just, it stinks. People say it smells like rotten eggs, but it's sulfur. It's sul- and there is no way in the world that I would even want to take a sip of that stink. And so they're thirsty. And God says, okay, I'm going to lead you to water. And they come around the corner, <laughs> and, they, and they get the sulfur stink. It's water that they can't drink. And this obviously is confusing to them. And so notice what they do. They start to complain here again. Now, God isn't punishing them here. They, they, they haven't done anything wrong, but God is preparing them. He's, he's getting them ready. He's teaching them. He's training them. Remember, Moses spent 40 years being trained by God, <laughs> and they've only been out here in the wilderness for a very short period of time. And God is beginning to develop them, and that's what's going on. Look at verse 25. Then he cried out to the Lord. That's Moses again. And the Lord showed him a tree, and he, Moses, threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. Interesting. Man, if it wasn't for Moses, where would these people be? And if it wasn't for Jesus, where would we be? Verse 26, uh, into verse 25, there he made for them a statute and regulation, and there he tested them. And he said, if you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all the statutes, I will put none of the diseases which, you, um, which I have put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Okay, you follow me, you don't have to worry about any of the things that happened to all of those people in Egypt. And then they came to uh, Elium, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 date palms, and they camped there beside the waters. So they're thirsty for three days, and God takes them to bitter water. And this is not because God wants to rub it in their face, and He's not trying to discipline them, but He's trying to develop them. He's trying to teach them to be reliant upon Him. And so... Moses calls out again, provides water, and they move on, showing the map where they move. They move further away from Canaan. So this is where Eliam is, and Eliam is apparently like Hawaii, because that's the way it's described here. Um, Twelve springs of water, 70 date palms, and they camp there beside the water. So God finally takes them to Hawaii. (laughs) You go from slavery to Hawaii. I mean, what else could you complain about after that? You're in Hawaii. And so they spend two and a half months here in Hawaii. So why don't we take a break here, and we'll come back after our break. Exodus chapter 16 
It's been two and a half months since they've been in Hawaii with the date palms and the uh, 12 springs, and it's been so wonderful. Um, been two and a half months since they left Egypt. Uh, they were complaining in Egypt and because they were under slavery. I'd understand that complaining. And as soon as they are freed, what do they do? They complain about the way that it's going. And even before they get to the sea, they're complaining again. And then, of course, they get led across through the sea, not because of their own anything, but because of Moses and his faith, they are led across. And as soon as they get to the other side, they sing a, a praise song to God, and then they get thirsty, and they, <laughs> they start complaining again. Um, but now, they have been two and a half months here in Hawaii, and what else could you grumble about now because there's nothing else to complain about? Well, we're going to find uh, something to complain about. And this is going to be another picture, too, of, um, of Jesus Christ and an application to New Testament believers as well. Remember, these things occur so that we can learn from them even in Christ. And so there's going to be some more that we can learn in Christ from chapter 16. Then they set out from Elium. So this is where they are here. They set out and all the congregation, the sons of Israel, came into the wilderness of sin. Ooh. This is a, re it's a real place. So the wilderness of sin, I'll get out my little red thing here again. It's, it's, it's about kind of right in this area, right in, right in here. I'll get to the other side over here. Kind of right in that area, right in there. Uh, the wilderness of sin, which is between Elium and Sinai, Mount Sinai. Sinai is further to the further to the east. There. On the fifteenth day of the second month after the departure from the land of Egypt, and the whole congregation, the sons of Israel, grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, "Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt." When we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out in the wilderness to kill us, to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So no longer is it we're thirsty. I'm hungry. Have you ever just met someone who just always complains about something? Just always, you know somebody like that who always just complains about something? The soup? it's too hot. The air conditioning, it's too cold. The, the sun, it's too bright. It's too dark at night. We need a light. <laughs> Tanya and I, we had an acquaintance uh, who, when they would come over to our house, they would complain about everything about my house. <laughs> everything. Like, like they, 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 they stick their hands underneath a faucet, my faucet, and, and, they, and they can't get their hands wet the same way that their faucets work back at their house. And so they complain about my faucets. That's what we're dealing with here with Israel. Just constant complaining about pretty much everything that they can figure out. They were in Egypt and they complained. They were running away from Egypt and they complained. They get to the other side of the river and I'm hungry, I'm thirsty. Okay, here's some water, but it's bitter. 
And now I'm hungry. Has anybody ever known a toddler? That is um, an adult toddler. That's what we're dealing with here. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the sons of Israel at evening, you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, for He hears your grumblings against the Lord. And what, what are we that you grumble against us? Question <laughs> mark. Like, like they're like, uh, don't blame us. <laughs> We're just people. You're complaining against God. Verse 8, Moses said, this will happen when the, the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread to the full in the morning. For the Lord hears your grumblings, which you grumble against Him, by the way. And what are we? Your grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. We're just people. We, we can't do these miracles. God is the one who does all of these things. Don't complain against us. Now, we, we know this in retrospect. They didn't. But we know this in retrospect that God had no plans to kill them with hunger out there in Death Valley, out there in the wilderness of sin. We know that God didn't have plans to do that. And actually, God had promised them that He's going to take them to, to the land of promise, that He's not going to kill them out here in the wilderness. He's already told them that. But they're always worried about the things that they don't know what's coming next. And so they're complaining against Moses, but Moses is saying, hey, you're really not complaining against us. You're complaining against God. And so the next two sections here are the way that God is going to provide food in the wilderness, because that doesn't come along very often. Verse 9, then Moses said to Aaron, say to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, come near before the Lord for he has heard your grumblings. And it came about as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation, the sons of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God." So it came about at evening that the quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew on the ground in the camp. So there are two ways that God is going to provide for their food. And the first one is at night. He's going to bring El Pollo Loco to, right to... Right, this is the very first El Pollo Loco right here. And some of us have had, not had dinner yet, and this sounds pretty good right here. It's Uber Eats, Grubhub, right to your door. That, you, that there is quail for dinner. And then there's another way that God is going to provide for them. God provides dinner, but He's also going to provide breakfast, verse 14. When the layer of dew, remember there's a layer of dew in the morning, okay? When the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flake-like thing, <laughs> 
fine as the frost on the ground. And when the sons of Israel saw it, and they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded, gather it every, get, gather it every man as much as he should, and you shall take an omer apiece according to the number of persons which you, uh, which, um, which you has in his tent. The sons of Israel did so, and some gathered much and some little. When they measured it with an omer, he who gathered much had no access, excess, and he who gathered a little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he could eat. And so here we have the, we had El Pollo Loco at night, and in the morning we have Pop-Tarts because this is 14th century BC Pop-Tarts are out there on the ground. Now, it could be that the quail, someone could excuse for like a natural phenomenon. The quail happened to fly through that area, and it just happens to be that every night here come the quail, and it's just a natural phenomenon. But this stuff that comes on the ground that's bred in the morning, this does not happen naturally even once. This is not a natural occurrence. This is obviously a miracle that comes from God. So miraculous, in fact, it says here, that the person who gathers a little has enough to eat. And that person who, you know, kind of a glutton, gathers, gathers way too much, and, and uh, it, it's just enough to eat. It's miraculous even in that way. And an interesting thing happens, verse 19. Moses said to them, let no man leave any of it until morning. But when they did not listen to Moses and some left apart until morning, like they kept leftovers overnight, like they, they got so much that they saved some to the next day, and it bred worms and became foul, and Moses was angry with them. Remember, God had said just earlier in this chapter that all of this was going to be a test to see if people could follow instructions. These people walk out, they take more than they need, and, and all of a sudden, they couldn't figure out how to pass the simple test. Verse 21, they gathered it morning by morning. Every man, as such as he should eat, but when the sun grew hot, it would just melt. So this is the second kind of way that God is going to provide for them. It's to be collected only every morning, no leftovers, Effectively, whatever you can't eat, just leave out on the ground. So for those of you who really love your doggy bags, this would kill you. For those of you who just can't let any food go to waste ever, this would kill you. You would just die having to leave it out. But by the time the sun gets high in the sky and the sun hits it, poof, it's just gone. Because this was their daily bread. That every day that you would go out and you would eat this bread. This was to be a personal daily experience. And isn't it interesting that in the New Testament, John refers to Jesus like this. Remember, all of this is like a, an example for us as, as Christians, even in the New Testament. This is the way that John writes it. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven. What's that referring to? The manna, what we're just reading about. And it's not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread of, out of heaven. And who is that? The true bread out of heaven is Jesus Christ. 
For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Jesus is our daily bread. He is the, the only reason that we are alive spiritually is because of Jesus Christ. Now, how would you describe manna? Like, what, what is this stuff? Like, th- this, nobody has ever seen it before. This is completely a brand new entity. God has created something brand new. They had never had it in their diet. They've never seen it ever before. So how do you describe it? Chapter 16, verse 31 describes it. The house of Israel named it manna, and it was like coriander seed, white, and its taste was like wafers with honey. So there you go. I don't have much else to say about that. That's the way they describe it, so I, I believe it. And look at verse 35. And the sons of Israel ate manna 40 years until they inhabited the land. This was very nutritious because this is the thing that kept them alive for 40 years. Very nutritious. As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy, here it is on the screen, talking about the Exodus and them eating this food for 40 years. It says in Deuteronomy, their clothes didn't wear out and their feet didn't swell over their 40 years. Now, feet swelling, as many of you know, is a result of having a poor diet and sometimes having too much bread, interestingly. And yet, eating this manna, whatever, however, whatever nutrients are in it, is so healthy that over 40 years, their feet didn't even swell from it. Remember, Jesus is the bread of life. He, he is the only thing that, that sustains a believer. He, he is the one that helps us live our life in Christ. There is nothing else. There is just like manna, there, was, there is no other way for a Christian to survive outside of Jesus Christ. And so anyway, they had this really excellent diet, uh, no swollen feet. Uh, it was a, certainly a monotonous diet. Uh, turn in your Bibles quickly, if you can keep your finger here, but turn your Bibles to Numbers, Numbers chapter 11. Numbers 11. Talks more about this manna. Numbers 11, verse 6. Uh, Numbers 11, verse 5. It says, we remember the fish that we used to eat free in Egypt. Yeah, free. All the, all the slave work labor they did. Free is a relative term. That's what I tell my kids too. Oh, dad, it's free. Okay. Free is relative. Just remember that. The cucumbers... And the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic, but now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at, look at, look at except this manna. <laughs> now the manna was like coriander seed. Brought a picture of coriander seed because I'm not sure if uh, we know what coriander seed looks like. So this is coriander seed. Okay, it was like coriander seed, and its appearance was like that of bedellium. Now, who, in the, who knows? Don't look at your notes in your Bible or whatever. <laughs> you all look down real quick. 
See, you forget I can see you. Like, there's not a wall right here. I can see you. Okay, so bdellium is this resin. It's like a gum. Uh, it's a fragrant gum or resin, and it's used to put in fragrances and that sort of thing. And it comes in all sorts of different colors, but this is bdellium. So it, it was like coriander, so it was like that, but it looked <laughs> like that. Huh, that's interesting. But of course, that got boring. And what do you do when you get, get I'm hungry, and you, and you give your toddler something to eat, and they say, I don't want that, throw it out the window. You know, verse 8, the people would go about and gather it and grind it between two millstones or beat it in the mortar and boil it in a pot and make cakes with it, and its taste was the taste of cakes baked with oil. So this was a really unique food. You could, as it says here, you could grind it, you could beat it, you could bake it with pans, you could, you know, have manna casserole, you could have manna and cheese. Amazon had a best-selling book, 1,001 Things to Do with Manna. That's all, well, you just, you just figured out another thing to do with manna every single day, and they grew tired of it, and of course, more grumbling. But isn't this the Christian condition? We're saved by faith. We're so happy that we are free in Christ. We're so thankful that we don't have to pay for our sins and eternity in hell. And then as soon as we get to some bitter water, we just complain about it. We get to some bitter life, some bitter circumstances in our life. We just, well, God, what are you doing to me? And we get to some things where we're, we're experiencing difficulties and we don't feel like Jesus is enough and we're hungry for something more and we start looking for something more than Jesus Christ when He's already provided us everything that we need. He is, he, is, he is enough to sustain us completely, and yet we start looking for other things to sustain us because we just grow tired of, well, it's just Jesus. There has to be something more. That's dangerous, by the way, in Christianity when you start looking for something more. You start looking for signs, or you start looking for wonders, or you start looking for, for different uh, weird spiritual languages. Jesus is enough. Jesus is the one that sustains us. You don't need to look for anything else, wonder for anything else. He's our daily bread. But I think you could probably at least identify with the, uh, with the Israelites a little bit for growing tired of all the circumstances of eating this over and over and over and over again. Chapter 16 of Exodus, verse 22, and we have to be done. Now, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one, when all the leaders of the congregation came out and told Moses. And he said to them, this is what the Lord said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath observance. Is it interesting that the Sabbath was instituted before the Mosaic law? It says, bake, bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over, put aside and keep until the morning. <laughs> Are they going to get worms? So they put it aside until the morning as Moses had ordered, and it did not become foul, nor was there any warm in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord, and today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath, and there will be none. And so all those six days you gather it on that, the, the day before the seventh day, there's going to gather double. And it's going to be good in your refrigerator just that one day. Eat it the next day, and that's your day of rest, the Sabbath day. And then start over again the next week. Well, it's 8 o'clock, and we need to be done. 
Well, God, we thank you for what you've taught us tonight. And God, we can see ourselves in the lives of these Israelites. Um, and I know that that's the way your word designed it to be. We thank you for sending your son to be our daily bread. And I pray that he would be that for us. That even tomorrow, when we wake up in the morning, that you and your son would be the one that would sustain us for another day of living our life as, Christ, as, as a Christian. So, God, we thank you for these reminders. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, I'll see you on Sunday. Don't forget to change your clock backs. Clock's back. <laughs>